Welcome to the PMNR Scholars Podcast. The following is a recording of one of our live didactic sessions. If you would like information on future didactic sessions, join our mailing list at pmnrscholars.org. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram for our latest news, and subscribe to us on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcasts. The following should not be used solely for clinical decision making, but instead to educate and inform your studies in your career. Today's panel discusses transitioning to becoming a PGY2 from your intern year. Hope you enjoy. Musculoskeletal medicine with a specific focus on uh, dance uh, medicine and like uh, performing arts medicine. So it's good to meet everyone and uh, thanks for coming out. Ty, you want to go next? Oh, sorry. George, I think you're just going to have to call people out. Ty, you want to go next? You're, you're next. Signed in. Sure, yeah. Um, I guess everyone's order is different, but my name's Hethel. I'm from University of Washington, and I'm a rising PGY3 now. Um, I'm primarily interested in pediatric rehab still, but um, have a, had a lot of exposure this year, so I'm still undecided. Um, let's see, I'll call on Jim next, so we can go in an order. Okay, so yeah, so Hethel and I went to uh, Brody School of Medicine together, so there's a connection there. And um, so I'm Jim Eubanks, I'm a rising PGY3 here at the uh, University of Pittsburgh. And I'm interested in spine and pain, and in particular, uh, improving the ways that we deliver care because we uh, haven't moved the needle very much, so to speak, on outcomes. And it's time that we uh, try to remedy that. So that's what I'm interested in. I have to pick the next person. Yeah, okay. Pass the talking stick. Wait, who'd you choose? Yeah, you. Oh, <laughs> I didn't hear it. So I am Chelsea Frost. I am currently at University of Virginia. I am an outgoing PGY 4th slash chief resident. I'm going to be heading down to Emory um, in Atlanta for an interventional spine fellowship. It's one of those NASA accredited ISMM long name thing. Um, so obviously I'm very interested in like spine sports aspect. I've done a lot of research through that. Um, but originally from Florida and this one's my dog, Piper. <laughs> so Inker, you're next. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Uncle Patel. I'm a rising PGY3 at uh, New York Presbyterian Columbia and Cornell. Uh, my current interests uh, include uh, pain medicine, um, particularly with neuromodulation and cancer pain, um, but uh, we'll kind of see what goes on the road. Awesome. Uh, we got a great mix from, uh, from residents all over the country with a lot of different interests, so this is, this is fantastic. Uh, so we'll roll right into it. We have some pre-submitted pre questions, so we'll run through those first. Uh, we'll go for about an hour. If we have time at the end, we can definitely take questions in the chat. Um, so if anything pops up that, that 
comes up on your mind with any of these answers, just feel free to use that chat. I'll keep an eye on it and uh, I'll try and address those at the appropriate time. Uh, so first, um, I guess we can go in reverse order so we can start with Ankur and work our way back uh, through the panel. Our first question is, what are some of the most important takeaways to gather from PGY2 year? I mean, transitioning from intern year to PGY2, um, it's a big change. Um, you're kind of going from like that internist role to like a physiatrist role. Um, and I think the biggest takeaway is to kind of really just find your group. Um, like that first couple of months, it takes for intern year to kind of feel like a little bit seasoned, to kind of feel comfortable what you're doing. It's going to be the same transition, um, probably a little bit quicker, uh, especially because you kind of have a good foundation in medicine uh, before you start. Um, I'll say like my big takeaway is just try to figure out, have some ideas on what you would like to do, like what, like, what you would like to pursue in terms of the subspecialty, um, or if it's general, um, try to seek out some mentors um, along the way um, and just really have fun. Um, it's a great field. You'll meet a lot of people. Um, PGY2, is, it's a great time. Um, so this is going to, I feel like this is going to be a lot of, I echo that. <laughs> um, for at, at UVA, our second year is all inpatient. So um, I, I definitely agree with everything that Ankur said, um, that having that medicine foundation is great. Um, with us being all inpatient, like if you're going to be starting on an inpatient rotation, definitely reach out to everyone who's going to be on the team and be open to whatever they're saying. Um, I know Nick already said this probably in, in one of your prior tweets like earlier this week or last week that you just need to be open to all of the team members and be willing to listen to what they have to say, what they want to teach you, but also be sure that you don't let them take advantage of you. Um, like, yes, be open to everything they're saying, but also remember that you are a doctor too. And so don't just be willing to do any tasks that they give you. Um, you're going to be busy as it is. And so you're really going to need this time to learn how to manage your time better. So if you already are having a busy schedule, don't, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, can you do these extra things? Be okay with saying no. <laughs> like you need to focus on your own wellness at the same time. This is a great time to start learning how to balance things. So. All right. Yeah, great. Um, so, you know, my, my view is that um, in PGY2, kind of like Chelsea was saying, you know, it's heavily inpatient focused for most people, and that will reflect their experience. Uh, it's really the time to learn how to be um, a rehabilitation physician. So you want to learn the logic of function or the logic of rehab. This is the time to do it and kind of lay the foundation from which you're going to build on moving forward. So even though there, there I think, is going to be a strong drive if you have pre-existing interests uh, to sort of move in that direction rapidly. Um, I had a really um, good mentor when I was a fourth year medical student and kind of traveling around looking at programs um, who is a specialist in a particular field, um, which I won't mention, but said, you know, you really want to be thinking about becoming an excellent generalist physiatrist in your early course of, re of rehab residency. So that's something I would sort of emphasize because that's the foundation which you're gonna build on and will differentiate you regardless of how you specialize or if you specialize moving forward. Um, so that's one of the things that I would really emphasize and, and 
tell people to uh, be mindful of. Um, sort of going off of that and what everyone else has been saying, um, I think the biggest transition for me was kind of what we've been discussing, moving into a team role. I know being an intern, whether I was on surgery or medicine, it was just me and my senior. And here, at least University of Washington, we don't typically have seniors. We have people available to ask questions for, but you know, you are the person that people are going to the um, person for PT, speech, OT, they'll all come to you with the question. And sometimes it's hard to manage all of that. So I think it's finding a good way to communicate with everyone and setting boundaries as well. You can't update everyone throughout the day. So try to update one person and tell them to pass it along to the team. And, you know, it's not just your responsibility to report everything that the team team effort. So it's really just finding that balance. I know it's going from being alone to all these people. So finding that fit is a bit hard, but just to be prepared for that is good to think about. Uh, so first off, for those that are transitioning from intern year to PGY2 and those that are going to be interns, like congratulations, like this is a huge deal. Like you guys have made it to your rehab part of residency, like you are finally into what you match. So first off, congratulations. Um, one of the, the first pieces of advice that I always give people as they kind of transition into a brand new world, because I mean, the rehab world going from intern year to PGY two years, I mean, it's very, very different. Um, yes, you, you gain a good background, you get that good medicine, surgical knowledge. Um, but don't be scared to feel like an intern. Um, I felt very much like I was kind of repeating at first, but then you learn how to adjust much better because you have that experience. Um, but I always tell people two things is that you can control with your rotation, you can control your attitude and you can control your work ethic. You can't control when the patients, uh, if they're going to crash, if they're, you know, going to have to be, um, you know, this medicine, that medicine, like the, you can't control those. You can control the two things. And so no one is going to expect you to come off of an inpatient uh, internal medicine rotation and you go on to, let's say, the stroke unit and be an amazing stroke physiatrist. No one in the country from an attending perspective is going to expect that. So be open to learning. Read. Um, I know we'll probably get into some of the sources, um, but you know, those are the, if you have a good attitude and a good work ethic, then that will take you so far in not only your residency, but also in your career. So um, I, I second what everyone else said, um, but those are the two things that I try to really tell people as you transition, because it's, uh, it's, it's an awesome new world that you guys are about to get into, both those going into intern year and PGY2 year. Awesome. Those are fantastic answers. Uh, this next question is kind of kind of similar uh, along that vein. What what? How do you carry over some of the skills that you gained during during your intern year to your uh, PGY two year and throughout your physiatry residency? We'll start with Nick and work our way back. Uh, so, you know, that's a tough question because, you know, you have to figure out what separates you from being that internal med doc or, um, you know, whatever service and kind of um, focus your intern year had into the uh, physiatrist, right? And so you're going to take, obviously, all that knowledge that you um, that you achieved during that year, but you also are going to have to take it a step further. 
Um, and so in regards to like the specific question is how do you retain it? Is that kind of what I got from that question, George, is how do you retain that knowledge or? Yeah, how do you retain it and uh, what skills are important to carry over as well? Yeah, so, you know, you're going to lose some of it just because, you know, you may not uh, all, you know, when you don't see it and you don't use it, you know, you lose it. Um, but, you know, just as you continue to take care of patients on the rehab unit, you'll kind of, you'll learn how to incorporate those intern skills and then take it a step further and say, okay, how am I, uh, how is this going to impact the patient's functional status? And then, um, you know, how do I get them home or to their next destination? So it'll come. Um, you're going to lose stuff. Just, you know, accept that fact. I'm sure I have lost stuff, regained it, and lost stuff again, and probably will regain it. Um, and so that is definitely going to happen. Um, I think some of the biggest things to retain, though, is that basic knowledge, how to manage uh, AKIs, how to manage... Um, uh, you know, just all of your electrolyte uh, abnormalities, how to um, manage your CHF patients. Um, the basic core uh, internal medicine knowledge is going to go very far um, uh, with you through your career. Um, so I myself actually did a transitional year before coming here. Um, and so some of the things that I feel like actually helped by doing that were I, I rotated through surgery and medicine and other electives as well. And so, you know, that didn't make me an expert in any of those fields, but the key takeaways I took from like surgery, what medications they want held if my patient from rehab needs surgery the next day, that was helpful. Obviously things like making them NPO at midnight, um, and then rethinking about what medications I would restart after they came back from surgery, if they came back onto our unit. And then calling consults from rehab. When I talk to medicine, I hate not having any foundational information. So doing a quick search on up to date and I'm not medicine anymore, but uh, kind of just figuring out, you know, I was on a medicine team, what would help them help me? Uh, so you don't have to be an expert anymore on any of those things, but just thinking about when I was an intern and you were probably the closest to it out of anyone in your team, of course, what would my team have wanted to know if somebody asked us for help? So that really helped me this year. No one had surgical experience as close as I did. And I think it helped me when talking to surgery teams too. So things like that might help next year. Yeah, great, great um, responses so far. And just to build on that. So some of the things that you're gonna gain from intern year um, will be immediately applicable to your inpatient, particularly your inpatient rehab experience and you want to apply these sort of well-honed skills, uh, particularly in pattern recognition. So there's common conditions that you're going to see on inpatient rehab and need to identify. That's where you're going to translate what you learn as an intern into your PGY2 year. So we're, we're still, you know, inpatient rehab especially is kind of in the spectrum of hospitalists, right? We focus more on function, we're at a little bit of a different level of care, but it's increasingly more and more acute when patients come to inpatient rehab. So we're, we're a continuum, and there's a lot that you're going to learn as an intern um, on the medical and surgical side uh, that will be pertinent to your daily experience, identifying pathology and circumstances that are going to need you know, more of that team workup. Um, so that's, that's something I would um, certainly want to emphasize. Also, that you are now your, an intense advocate for your patient in a novel way. 
across the health system. So as, as physiatrists, we're thinking about these patients in the long term. We're not just thinking about discharging them you know, from their acute episode. We're thinking about the consequences of their care and how to set up the circumstances for them to flourish. And I think that's uh, something you're also going to see um, build on from your intern experience. You gotta unmute yourself, Chelsea. Sorry. Um, so just kind of echoing what everyone is saying, like what I remember taking away from intern year, my intern year was kind of like a transitional year as well. So um, it was a mix of like medicine, neurology, and then the clinics, the surgical, the orthopedic clinics. Um, so what I remember taking away was like learning how to manage the basic medical stuff, like hypertension, diabetes, um, the AKIs, getting good at that. But then from the surgical standpoint, just being comfortable taking out um, sutures and staples and like those are basic things, but like at UVA, we have a standalone rehab hospital, so we can't really have surgical consults coming over to take these staples and sutures out. They'd be coming up after hours. And so if you let them know that you can take those out, they are very appreciative. And so when you need to get in contact with them again at a later point, um, if you have any questions, they they do actually remember that. And so sometimes they seem a little bit more willing to help. Um, I mean, everyone knows that sur co like consulting surgery can get a little scary sometimes. So if you already have that built up rapport, it helps you a lot. Um, I think just really like what Jim was saying that you have to kind of transition your mindset to that team-based approach and um, like intern year, you are kind of on a team, you have those uppers, you have the attendings there. You sometimes will see the, the therapist around, but I mean, when you're in rehab, that's gonna be an even more um, intimate dynamic you're, we didn't have senior PM&R residents for us, so we were already, um, our, one of our respiratory therapists likes to refer to us as both as the intern and the senior, and so he would just call us the PGY 1.5s. Um, so enjoy your PGY 1.5 year where you are still building those relationships and just don't be afraid to ask for help. Like any, any of the consult services, they would be happy to help you rather than you having to send them out for like an acute care transfer, then they have to work it up. They would rather help with that preventative step. So just, I think that was probably the only different thing, just making sure that you're okay with consulting people, don't be afraid to do it. So real quick, I wanna echo what Chelsea said. I think that is a super important point to take away is, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. No matter, you know, there are some places that are standalone rehab facilities. We're also the same here at, uh, at uh, Kentucky. And, you know, you may be able to, from a knowledge perspective, be able to handle the patient that is crashing or a little unstable, but you have to realize what you can do at your facility because some facilities are restricted, you know, with what they can do. So, you know, the standalone rehab facility is just that. It's a rehab facility that can do a lot, but it's not an acute care hospital. And so, you know, 
kind of waving the flag and saying, okay, I need to send this patient out for an acute care transfer is not necessarily a failure, but you don't want to hold on to someone too long because you want to be the hero. The hero may be sending them so that they can be in the acute care. So that is a, I think a super important, if you take anything from this, I think that's one of the things that you should um, take from this is know when to ask for help. Oh, sorry, I was muted. Um, yeah, just kind of echoing what um, everyone has said. Um, you you do you'll kind of be surprised on like how much you really retain from your intern year, and it kind of comes down to those core principles, um, kind of knowing how to communicate. Um, it's right from when you start medical school all the way into attending. Um, the communication skills that you learn are very important. Know when to call your consults. Um, like our facility is not some of our facilities are standalone, but some of them are actually in house. Um, it, in the beginning, you'll be very you'll be really tempted to kind of manage all the medical problems on your own, um, especially like in your career in med complex service. Uh, but you have to kind of remember that you're kind of transitioning that role in terms of being a physiatrist. So kind of understanding their, their functional needs um, and their goals and what they're doing in therapy is actually gonna be more important. And that you can also kind of reach out to your consultants whenever you need. Um, so they'll always be there on standby. Um, and then just kind of really echoing like everyone said, um, just kind of work more in like a team fashion. Um, like listen to your patients, uh, examine them really thoroughly. Um, I, during my intern year, I did do a prelim year, um, but I had about four, a couple months of elective and I got to do like neurology, rheumatology, different uh, subspecialties and services. And if you have that opportunity for any um, rising interns, I would say try to take advantage of those services um, just because you'll see a lot of those patients when you're on the rehab unit. Awesome. Um, so kind of building, oh, as well, building off of that, um, what are some of the most common issues and calls you get as the night rehab resident? I'll say, so, <laughs> I'll say uh, some of the most common ones, um, I guess in the beginning, your nurses will be, um, they'll kind of call you for a lot of things just because you're just transitioning to the role. Um, and as you kind of become a little bit more seasoned, they'll know like when to page you, when not to page you. Um, but the most common things are probably just like medications. Um, sometimes like our EMR medications will fall off. Um, so like right when I get into the night shift, I always check all the medications, make sure that if anything needs to be renewed, I double check with the team while they're there. Um, uh, making sure that uh, sleep aids is kind of a big thing. Um, and it's really important. Um, you don't want to just put like any sleep aid medication on for every patient. Uh, but you really want to make sure that the patients are sleeping well. Um, a lot of things that we did in our rehab unit was make sure that we like have a quiet time. So like after like 10 p.m. after medication are set, it, the lights are dim, TVs are off, um, just to kind of promote that healthy sleep habit so that the next day when the patients are awake, um, they can really fully participate in therapy. Um, so those are probably like some of my main calls. Occasionally I will have emergencies and you'll always have them. Um, it's just kind of knowing to be on your like, that's kind of when you're an intern, um, intern is like kind of put, you put it back on and just try to start managing things. And I would say, especially in the middle of the night, if you do have an emergency, I would start looking to call your consultants early just because there's less staff um, available and you kind of want to make sure that the patient needs to be transferred, that you can get them to the service that they need to be on in a timely fashion. Let's see. I haven't been on call for a while, so I'm trying to think back of what 
we had um we had a, a couple we had a lot of falls so you'd have like the tbis or the strokes that are trying to get out of bed they're getting restless um they would fall post-op spines would fall um and at that point you kind of have to figure out which of these patients do i need to come in and see like we take home calls so which of these people do we need to come in and see which of these do we not so like if they did have a if they're on anticoagulation or if they had a um a spine surgery if they had a head bleed obviously you need to kind of come in and assess them um stroke patients it, it's variable whether you need to come in some of them if they're aphasic it's probably better to just come in and see them because they can't tell you hey i actually am hurting or hey uh something's different um we had a couple of our nurses would call us at like 2 a.m because a patient supposedly wants a suppository at that time so you will sometimes get dumb calls um, because you know nobody actually wants to poop at 2 a.m um chest pain were some of the common ones um or infection so like someone they just suddenly started spiking temperatures um they had been having low-grade temperatures maybe all all day but workup had been pretty normal and then suddenly they're popping up to a 102 so um i think those were probably some of the, the most common ones that we had whenever i was on call Yeah, so um, in terms of, you know, night paging and, and nursing, it can vary whether you're in-house or you're home call. So at UPMC, we are home call because we exist within acute care facilities um, for our inpatient rehab. And one of the most important things that I've learned this year is, you know, even though we're residents, you can participate in the education of your nursing staff. So you can help them to understand good clinical decision-making when it comes to nursing and night calls. And that's crucial um, because that is going to be a reflection on your relationships with them. Um, and so you want to develop those relationships. Um, and also it, it's going to help the culture. So one of the things that recently um, we, we sort of transitioned more to our text pages so that way, you know, particularly um, if it's not an urgent matter, you can have a sense of what's going on. Um, often we'll get enough information from the text page that we can respond in full to whatever the question is. And that can, you know, really save um, and improve in efficiency with calls. Um, Chelsea did a great job going over the common calls that we get, you know, falls, uh, mental status change, questionable neuro exam changes. Those are the things where, you know, you really have to put your thinking cap on and, and be very deliberate about your decision making um, because you don't want to miss certain things. And um, agitation management for brain injury patients is going to be a big one. Um, sleep questions, of course. And, um, you know, so you're going to develop a gestalt for how to manage the those kinds of common questions that you get which will stem from your training as an intern so this is just another great example of where you're going to take your training as an intern and translate it in a positive way 
uh, into your life as a PGY2. So um, one last thing about this is, you know, if you get that call in the middle of the night, if it wakes you out of your sleep at 3 a.m., which I had a pretty rough call weekend a, a few weekends ago uh, with a few of those calls, you know, you, you want to muster the energy and strength to um, answer and be polite, right? Because you never know what's happening on the other end. And, and that's crucial because you're, you're always reinforcing the relationships you have with the full team. Um, and that includes even when you're getting calls at night. So just another tip there. Um, similar to forming those relationships with nursing, one thing to keep in mind that I always hope people keep in mind when I'm calling for consults is that someone is just looking for help. And oftentimes in the middle of the night when you get a phone call, I remember I recently got a phone call around 2.30 a.m. for cough drops and it seemed so silly. They're over the counter and I just wanted to put the order in and go back to sleep. And I opened up the patient's chart and their NPO aspiration precautions cannot have anything in their mouth. Recently aspirated, had a pneumonia. So this patient could not have cough drops. And so things that do seem silly, sometimes just are silly, but other times you don't want to miss something like that. Um, so taking it a bit more seriously, even if it seems silly is worthwhile sometimes while also providing that education is important. Um, and then depending on where you are, I'm home call too at UW. I would say when you start with orientation, it's great to just ask your co-residents what would you do if this happened or that happened? Because every institution is different. How people handle falls, how people handle change of mental status or really anything, fever. For all fevers, we pretty much go in and that might not be the same at every institution. So asking that early on can be pretty beneficial. And then also maybe finding someone who could be your call buddy from home. I have a co-resident who I often text if there's something I just don't, I'm not sure how to handle, or I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. I just run it by them, not in the middle of the night, but <laughs> maybe in the evening. So having someone that you can go to, it just makes you feel maybe less alone and your clinical judgment isn't all on you sometimes. So finding a call buddy, if, if somebody wants to be your call buddy can be helpful as well. Uh, so yeah, I'll just kind of recap, I guess, because everyone really hit the nail on the head. You know, you have, you're going to get really bad uh, and not bad calls. I shouldn't use the word bad. You're going to get calls at 2.30 in the morning that are the suppository, uh, which sometimes can be frustrating. But again, just like Jim said, is use that opportunity. Um, do not be rude um, because not only will, you know, that uh, you will, uh, that make your life that much worse, but also you've lost that rapport with that person. Um, and you've lost that opportunity that could be there. Um, just like, uh, was mentioned with the cough drops and aspiration, uh, with night call, I kind of separated into two different types of calls. You have your common calls and then you have your kind of rehab emergencies. The four ones are exactly what everyone talks about falls, uh, pain. Uh, we get a lot of vital sign changes. Um, and those are kind of the, and sleeping aids, those are kind of the biggest ones we get. And then, you know, with emergencies, it really depends on if you take a home call or in-house call. Um, I think some of the biggest things, if you were to kind of read up on stuff, I know when I was 
kind of in your shoes, I thought, okay, well, if I'm in the middle of the night, what do I need to read up on? Because my rehab knowledge won't be where it's at as a fresh two. Um, I think autonomic dysreflexia is one. I was scared to death about having to manage that as a fresh two. Um, and so I think that's a good one to read up on. Um, and then kind of the other emergencies are those neuro changes. Sometimes it can be someone is really sleepy or it could be the subdural that is continuing to bleed for some reason. Um, and so uh, those are, I think, in my opinion, some of the biggest um, emergencies. And then, you know, a fall can turn into an emergency if they're on anticoagulation. Um, and so sometimes the ones that are common can really turn into emergencies. So, you know, I kind of live by the mantras, treat others as you want to be treated. And, you know, people are just paging you for help. Um, I've never met someone that has paged me just to be mean. Um, there's a reason why they're paging you. So, you know, be considerate um, and uh, go from there and it'll make your life much, much easier. Just to add on, um, like our call is actually in-house. So every program will have a different call structure. Um, so I would always say like when you start out, definitely ask your, uh, ask your um, upper level just to see kind of what is appropriate. Um, just so you can have an idea. Um, and like our system was that we had a call buddy the first couple of calls so that someone was there for most of the night if something were to happen. And just remember that everyone all your uh, code residents, you guys are all on the same team. So you can, you should be more than comfortable to kind of reach out to anyone. Um, like Hibble said, I think having a call buddy is definitely really important in the first couple of calls um, until you feel very comfortable uh, with your nursing staff as well as uh, just kind of getting used to the new institution that you're at. One last thing is don't forget to get a good sign out from your co-residents. You don't want to be that person that forgets to get call or, or forgets to get sign out and all of a sudden you're, you're scrambling at midnight uh, and come to find out, you know, the person was already kind of on the fence, uh, you know, from a vital sign standpoint during the day. So we'll always make sure, I would always make sure that I reached out early when I was on call. Uh, we take, we, our call starts at 5 p.m. here. Uh, and so I would reach out at about three o'clock. Hey, um, any issues now they were going to text me anyways, but you know, be proactive, make sure like you're staying on top of things so that you know what happened uh, during the day or kind of during the week going into a weekend. Awesome. The next question we got was, uh, what are the best resources to help review what we need to know on the wards? So is that me to start off, I guess? Uh, so I think uh, starting out as a two, I kind of used Cucurillo just for, to build that foundation. But Cucurillo should not be your main source for managing, right? Um, it is a board review text and that's what it is intended to do. But what I did was, is while I was on the unit, uh, no matter what it was, stroke, brain injury, um, you know, whatever I was on is I would, uh, have Cucurillo with me and I would read up on what it was. So in the very beginning uh, and still is to this day, all the different stroke syndromes, I'm like, okay, well, let me see what Cucurillo says about stroke syndromes. And then I would actually go into Bradham um, because I think Bradham is a very good text. And then um, those would be the kind of two things I would rely on. And then also don't be afraid to go ask your attending, you know, your attendings are, at an academic institution for a reason. They, for the most part, like to teach. And so you could say, hey, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, I'd like to learn more about uh, 
um, you know, pick whatever stroke syndrome you want. And, you know, maybe your stroke attending is like, hey, let's read the rule of fours paper. And, you know, you, that's how you facilitate learning. So for me, it was Cucurillo and Bradham, as well as like, you know, searches on up-to-date Medscape and then talking to my attending. And that's kind of how I formulated um, kind of my educational wrote, um, uh, part of my rotation, as well as what the attending had me read, et cetera. Um, so I would say in terms of more medicine-y questions, if you needed a resource for that, I would stick to what you used intern-year in hopes of it being the fastest and most efficient way to find an answer that you're looking for, a medication that you're familiar with, um, and not get bogged down in more detailed articles or resources. Um, so something quick like UpToDate could be helpful for that. In terms of rehab, for myself personally, I... I have struggled with reading textbooks this year, just trying to manage everything. So I think at least where I am at UW, we have a really strong lecture series. And what I've been doing is saving the lectures now every time we go through them, because that's where I learn things from. And that's what I want to refer to, because that's where I, you know, build my foundation. And so oftentimes having that lecture to go back and check in on and, and the attendings appreciate that too, if it's their lecture and you've actually referenced it. Um, that can be the most efficient way. And then, you know, I'm just bringing this up. I can't really speak to it because I haven't like really delved into it, but uh, PM&R recap is something that, it's a board review course that I know that uh, my residency together, we got a discount code for, so I went ahead and purchased it and I haven't used it myself. Maybe some of us have, but it's sort of like Pathoma in that it offers a lot of videos and um, something that might be beneficial to you if you liked Pathoma learning that way. Yeah, so I would I would echo the PM&R recap. Um, I think it's outstanding. Uh, Alex D'Angelo is the mastermind behind that, and it is modeled off of sort of a hybrid between um, uh, online meta-ed and Pathoma in particular. Uh, I used it almost exclusively for SAE this year, and I'm very happy with the results. So I would recommend it as a resource. It hits the high yield points. Um, from a practical standpoint on daily um, inpatient rehab, I did use up-to-date um, for medications. I liked Hippocrates. Uh, it's free to use for medication references. Um, and then for conditions, actually a pretty good resource is either Medscape has a professional app that you can download on your smartphone as well as Merck Pro. And both of those are free resources. Um, they're a little more, they're leaner than up-to-date, which can kind of get bogged down in a lot of different subtopics. Um, so I liked it for those reasons. And it will contain most of the um, information that we need for what we manage. Uh, and I agree very much about um, didactics. If you have a strong didactic series or lecture series at your institution, um, definitely rely on that and use that resource. Um, I used Cucurillo. I had that with me every day. And so I would just kind of reference it with things that I, I wasn't sure about. Um, and then we, I also use the didactic sessions that we have, um, and our attendings and some of our attendings were a little bit more, um, I guess, enthusiastic about teaching. And so like, even if I wasn't on his rotation, I would go and ask him questions. He was 
he's super smart and he was always willing to like talk to you about topics that weren't even what he's um, normally practicing in. And so I actually learned a lot from him. Um, and I would, I, I used up to date whenever I needed to look up something medicine-y, honestly. I had a bunch of resources that I had from like intern year and being a med student, but I didn't want to bring them with me. <laughs> so I just used up to date and I found it to be very helpful and useful those that year. Yeah, I think um, everyone really touched up on some of the great um, resources that are available. I actually have not heard of re a rehab re or was a recap. Um, so I'll have to definitely take a look at that. Um, but I would say uh, Cucurolo is kind of um, one of the texts I use uh, pretty much for all my rotations and just for my independent studying. Um, like everyone said that it's, it's really like an outline form. Um, so you don't really get like the meat of it. Um, I kind of usually uh, refer to Bradham or Delisa uh, just to kind of dig a little bit deeper um, and to kind of read a little bit more. Um, on general floors, just like every day, I usually carry around um, like the PM&R Pocketpedia. Um, this is one of the older editions, but I really like this. I used this when I was a med student. Um, it kind of goes over like all the different um, areas of rehab and like quick pages and you can kind of quickly refer to it. Um, and then I would say like your didactic series, um, your institution, they put a lot of effort into didactics. Um, ours are usually are a 12 month uh, series um, and they kind of really hit all the topics in detail. Um, and throughout our residency, we get about three times. So you feel pretty prepared um, towards the end. Um, so I would say really kind of stick to um, first, like what really makes you feel comfortable, like what kind of um, learner you are. Um, you've done, gone through medical school, intern year. Um, so kind of really stick to the same process um, that you're comfortable with. Um, and then find some resources. Don't get bogged down with so many. There's a lot of resources. Just pick some that you really enjoy and you really like, um, and then just go from there. You'll learn. You'll learn. Your most of your learning will be during during rounds. Awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll plug PMNR recap too for medical students. It, it is a pretty good, uh, pretty good purchase for me. I used it over the past couple twelve weeks while I was stuck home, and I, I felt like I learned a lot and retained a lot the way that he uh, presents the presents the information. Uh, so moving away a little bit from uh, from the floors, uh, the next question was, how do you balance your kind of your work life balance along with other scholarly activities such as research, maybe leadership positions in the AAP and RNAAP um, as a PGY2? Like, how do you strike a balance uh, during this time? So transitioning into PGY2 um, is definitely it's a challenge um, in the beginning just because it's a new, it's a whole different environment. Um, so I would say very early on, uh, you'll be presented with probably numerous different opportunities to kind of get involved in different things, research projects, um, like scholar activities, leadership positions. Um, I would say to kind of really focus on like your work and your life balance initially, kind of really making sure that you are able to kind of balance your day to day. Um, the first couple of weeks of in, uh, inpatient will be tough. Um, you may have some long hours um, and you don't want to kind of take on too many responsibilities early on. Uh, but once you kind of feel comfortable and you start gaining interest in different areas of rehab, um, definitely explore areas. If it's something leadership wise, um, this is kind of when you can reach out to some of your mentors uh, to ask them if they have any projects. Um, but don't feel like you have to get involved in something from day one. Um, it's absolutely not necessary. Um, take your time, kind of get a feel for what's going on um, on the rehab unit and then try to take off responsibility as you feel comfortable.
Um, so I would say like when you're first starting out with PGY2, I wouldn't take on anything else quite yet, at least like the first month. Let, let yourself get your legs straight, figure out what you need to do, um, and just kind of figure out like once you're once you've settled into your daily life in in PMNR, um, and you that allows you to kind of figure out how much time you're going to have. Are you going to have a lot of free time? Are you um, are you already feeling overwhelmed just by doing work, and then you're coming home, um, and then you have to kind of look at who you are as a person. Do you enjoy being busy, having like your schedule built out hour by hour or do you want to just kind of enjoy um, like come home after work just kind of sit down enjoy Netflix or whatever um, and just kind of set your figure out what you enjoy so like PGY two year the first couple months I just kind of did work came home that was it um, but I mean I got a dog that year so I was still able to manage that. I ended up doing a leadership position with um, AA PMNR, I believe. Um, and then I also jumped into research. I'm, but I'm also someone who enjoys being busy, like having my day completely blocked and it makes me feel fulfilled that way. Um, so it's just kind of looking at making sure that you know what your schedule is going to be like and figure out what kind of person you are. Are you someone who wants to be busy or not? Yeah, so um, I completely agree with uh, what we've been saying here. You know, it helps to have friend and family support. So if you've got people around you that are going to be supportive of your time as a resident, that's crucial. Um, also, you know, you have a responsibility to try to maintain those contacts with them and uh, spend time when you can. Uh, if it, Some institutions as a PGY2 are more willing to promote you going to conferences. And in those cases, it's fine to do so if it works out. Um, it's not crucial for sure as a PGY2. And some programs, just the way that they're designed, it's going to be really hard to do that. So I would tell everyone not to have any pressure or sense of pressure that as a PGY2 especially, you need to be going to conferences um, because that's certainly not the expectation among the overwhelming majority of, of people within PM&R. So um, you can still be actively involved in thinking about your various interests. Um, you can look for mentors. So, you know, I'm, in, I, I'm kind of involved in a research training program, RMSDP, which is through AAP. And uh, that's all about connecting with people that can sort of support you and nurture your development. And the, the crucial thing is that you find people who are able to give you the time that you need to develop the skills that are essential to what you want to do. And, and by and large, that's the most important thing is get yourself uh, in touch with folks like that. Um, that will include your seniors as well as attendings um, or even researchers outside of your immediate department in some cases. Um, but I think that it's appropriate as a PGY2 to start going there and thinking about it a little bit. Um, you know, you're again, laying the foundation for your future still as a PGY2. So I think that's the thing that you wanna stay um, most focused on. 
Um, I would say at least for myself, you know, we talk about wellness so much in rehab and I think it's easier to talk about that for other people than ourselves. But coming into residency, I moved all the way to Seattle from the East Coast. And so I was just trying to adjust into what felt like kind of what Nick said, a new intern year and um, adjust to life as a PGY2. So I did not do too much research or hold too many positions early on. I feel like now, though, past few months, I've had many opportunities and not being in the place where I feel like I need to say yes to everything and say yes to what matters to me, what I'm interested in, what might help me in the future, whether it be for fellowship or jobs or whatever it might be. It's nice to just get to a place and manage your workflow and then decide what is important to you. And it might be going to conferences. It might be holding positions or doing more research, whatever it is. I would just say, you know, there's so much change involved with starting PGY2, at least if you're not in the same institution. I mean, and then even if you are, there is. So just trying to facilitate and make it easier for yourself to adjust to the workflow, adjust to just learning what's important in rehab and then building other skill sets and holding other positions after you've kind of mellowed out and adjusted. Yeah, so I mean, as you can see, there's, you know, uh, kind of two different types and kind of those in between those that want to have every minute of every hour planned and then those that don't. Um, I think what it really boils down to is to be well, I think it really, um, it really relies on organization, no matter what type of person you are, if you don't want things necessarily planned, or if you want every hour planned, you still have to be organized, right? And so um, find what works for you, what has ever worked for you in intern year. I would try to adapt that to the rehab realm. Um, I'm a list guy. I'm a list and checkbox. So like everything on my to-do list uh, from the uh, inpatient side, I would have the list. Uh, and then, you know, different leadership roles, research projects, et cetera. I kind of have a list at home that it's like, okay, well, these are the things I need to check off. And so um, for me, that is what kind of keeps me at least uh, sane. Uh, if I don't do that, then I kind of get lost and uh, it, it can get, uh, if I'm not organized, then I get stressed, right? And so, um, I mean, what everyone has said is, is great advice. I just have to add, just try to be organized because that in and of itself will uh, help your wellness. Awesome. Our last question kind of, uh, we're, we're getting close to the end here, but uh, one of the questions that came in through the chat, uh, it's gonna be relevant for, uh, for these PGY1s transitioning in, into PGY2 during this kind of unique time. Uh, regarding team dynamics, has COVID, COVID impact running a rehab team and communication between team members and also family members, uh, just because of the impact on family meetings and uh, uh, other instances that might not have existed uh, before this situation? Yeah, uh, so that's a loaded question because uh, I think every kind of facility did it a little differently. Um, we could probably talk an hour about that per topic particularly. Uh, I'll be short though with that. So at UK, um, we kind of pared down our team. So we have normally have seven inpatient teams. We pared it down to four um, and had uh, so that we could have people have vacations and just time off uh, so that they could limit their exposure and um, not only limit their exposure, but to kind of relieve stress and be well. 
Um, and so we did that. Um, now I will say the, with the restrictions becoming um, a little less stringent in regards to visitors, um, it's being much, it's getting much easier to do family teaching. So one of the big things you guys will realize um, is family teaching is a big component about kind of, you know, the patient's uh, next course, right? So getting home, getting to their next destination and uh, following up with them and making sure they succeed. Um, at UK, we kind of had to do some of that over the phone because we did not have, we, you know, didn't allow, uh, there was for a couple of days where we couldn't do family teaching. Um, and then interaction between the staff, um, you know, you could almost argue that there was, it might have been, I won't say better, but there was maybe a little bit more continuity of care because everyone kind of um, did a, a limited schedule with, uh, and so, you know, you were talking to the same person all the time. Um, and so, um, you know, that uh, I think added a component to it, uh, but it was very tough and, you know, we're still going through it. We're still running at least through the end of June on a reduced uh, kind of team, but as patients, as things start opening up, um, you know, things are getting a little bit back to normal. Um, but I think what you'll find is every, every facility did it a little differently. And just piggybacking off of that, I would definitely reach out to any of your residents right now if you have any questions about that, because that is so up in the air and important for you to know I ask questions about it still all the time. Um, but for my facility specifically, we have four different hospitals. They all handled it different, as you can imagine. Um, and we do now just do Zoom or phone call meetings with the therapists as well to communicate that way. Um, sometimes we have family members join those meetings. Other times it's actually the responsibility of the resident to call the family member and update them, answer questions. So it does at times end up being a heavier workload, non-clinical workload for us. Um, I will say, I don't feel like there have been too many um, things miscommunicated or slipped up by meeting not in person. It's not as fun, but um, I think we've found ways to work around it. Um, but other policies like wearing masks, how many visitors can come in, that's important for you to know, for you to convey to your patients, but that will change probably between now and when you get there anyways. So definitely keep asking those questions. They're relevant um, and probably different for all of us. Yeah, excellent answers. Um, and I know that, you know, we learned a lot from UW in terms of you guys sort of getting this earlier than many of us uh, here in the States. So um, that information sharing was crucial. That's one of the things that we did as an institution is very early on started um, uh, inquiring about the changes being made sort of in real time at other institutions who were seeing cases and uh, higher volumes sooner than we were. You know, being in Western Pennsylvania, we were a little more um, late to receive the um, increase in patients. But um, having those relationships again, whether it's you know, with colleagues or with patients and their families is crucial in this field. So one of the things that was interesting is uh, we did move to a remote system. So we had about half of our residents in, inside the hospitals and then half of them in a remote um, sort of service capacity where we are supporting the inpatient um, teams. And that kind of doubled for the events of exposures and if we needed to swap out people. 
um, just to reduce the amount of time in the hospital. Uh, it worked out really well. I think, you know, we've all learned a whole lot from this whole experience. Um, and some of the things that we've learned, I think, will stay. For example, we'll probably see a lot more telemedicine, telerehab. We're going to see a lot more uh, virtual didactics. Um, and we'll, we'll see experimentation continue throughout the summer and into next year, which is really exciting, actually. Um, and then, you know, the last thing is from a practical standpoint, as a PGY2, we had to make a lot more contact with families to try to hold things together in ways that are much easier when people can freely come in and out of the hospital, right? Because we, of all the medical specialties, are really dependent on caregivers and family members um, who are gonna support patients for the long term. So that's one thing that um, was a little different and important about the experience we had. Um, so this is actually gonna be hard for me to answer just because I haven't been on the inpatient side for a while. Um, we did, with the start of COVID and the clinics, our outpatient um, clinics closing, we did end up going to like a rotation schedule to give some time for our inpatient residents to just have a little reprieve from all of the, the stress from the COVID. Um, so we actually went through a rotation schedule and each of them got two weeks off a month, I believe. Um, so once the clinic started reopening, it was a very gradual um, reopening. I mean, then, I mean, it affects our, our upper level rotations, like our EMGs, you're not getting as much EMG time. And so that allowed for additional uh, lectures time, kind of like a, almost like a one-on-one -on -one with whoever's doing EMG and the resident. Um, we had, some of our clinics went to telemedicine, not a lot, just because it, like in our spine clinic, it's a little bit harder for our attendings to do a telemedicine if you're having back pain and to really assess you um, to the level that they would like to assess you. Um, and so they opted not, most of them opted not to do any telemedicine, but like our um, musculoskeletal, so like our sports injuries and our running injuries, they did a telemedicine and it worked out great. Um, that was a lot of attending with resident, doing some video calls. Some of the patients prefer just telephone calls, so that kind of made it even more difficult to actually assess a patient. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like everyone said, it's going to be very different how every program is doing it. And then come next year, we, we really can't say, is everything going to be back to the old normal or things going to be completely changed? So that is a very hard question to answer right now. So for um, our institution, for New York Presbyterian being um, in New York City, uh, we were hit really hard. Um, so our numbers were quite high for many weeks um, during the COVID uh, pandemic um, and still frankly um, are, but they're improving. Um, so we have about seven clinical sites that we cover um, and our two major ones are Columbia and Cornell. So within those institutions, we actually um, expanded the number of beds that uh, rehab beds. Um, some of them were converted from medicine to rehab beds temporarily uh, since the, we saw that there was a lot of rehab needs for these patients. 
especially the patients who came off the vent. Um, so um, we had about, in our program, we had about 24 residents. So about a third of them were redeployed um, to either to the ICU, medicine teams, or the ED. Um, the other third um, were pretty much um, on a night float. Um, and then between the rest of them were split between a remote uh, where they would be helping out the inpatient team um, from their home or, um, and during the free time, they would actually work with the chiefs and we would have about academic uh, didactic sessions daily. So about three, four hours daily about educational learning, uh, which was really helpful. Um, now we're actually all back to a semi-normal schedule. Most of our outpatient uh, clinical sites are still opening. Um, but as you can see, like all the institutions had different ways of structuring and going through this pandemic. And I think as we kind of go into the fall and later into the, um, the year, I think we'll see continues to see changing. So that'll be um, constantly evolving. Um, so I would definitely reach out to your um, particular institution and your residents to see what's going on there. Um, in terms of um, the rehab, like teams. Um, so a lot of it was uh, done virtually for us um, in terms of our uh, team meetings, uh, uh, daily and weekly team meetings, we would do them virtually either on the phone or through Zoom. Um, a lot of the family training was going um, virtual as well. So like through like iPads or phone calls, um, which was actually kind of brought up uh, like a different reason. Like we can actually start implementing this into like a normal protocol, um, which is actually really interesting. And then, um, like Jim said, I think you kind of really have to focus on calling the patient's um, family um, daily or multiple times a day. I think that constant communication is really key. For our um, program, we had uh, a no visitor policy, um, which was actually taken effect really early on. Um, so the moment they came into the hospital, so some patients, some of our rehab patients were in the, probably in the hospital for about three or four weeks at a time. Um, so they were really, they were away from their family for a long period of time. So kind of, you're really that bridge to kind of making sure that the family understand what's going on. Um, and then we were trying to get them maybe touched in like with their, with their own cell phone or iPad just to, so they can see their family. Um, I think that was a really important part of their wellness as well as their rehab program. Um, so kind of like everyone touched on it, I think this is a, a really unique time um, to be um, in medicine um, and particularly rehab. And I think we're gonna see a lot of changes going forward. Um, even though like we were kind of, we were maxed out in terms of how many patients we can take um, in terms of like, acute rehab, we realized that a lot of patients who were being discharged home still needed rehab needs um, in the outpatient setting. So that was something that we were implementing um, with their outpatient attendings to making sure that people actually had proper follow-up going forward. Um, and I think we're gonna see a lot of that um, in the future. Awesome. That was that was extremely informative. Uh, thank you to all of you for joining us tonight. Um, I, I really appreciate you guys giving your time. I know everybody's really busy, especially with uh, coming off of home rotations, getting back, getting back into kind of the normal swing of things. Um, so we, we really appreciate your time and you guys doing this for us. Um, if you guys had any more questions that you didn't get answered, uh, definitely reach out to us by email uh, or on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we can get you in touch with with any of the speakers. They're also all on on Twitter. Uh, as if you aren't on the physiatry Twitter yet, I definitely recommend that you get on there. Um, we'll have, like I said, we'll have events. We're going to try and shoot for every Thursday uh, around eight eight thirty, depending if it's a East or West Coast speaker. Um, we'll try and keep try and keep around this time, so it's kind of a consistent thing. Um, and if you have any questions, if you want to be a speaker for us, if um, if you have any requests for speakers, 
or uh, ideas were were all ears. Uh, we're we're just a group of students and residents uh, trying to keep this thing going. So we definitely appreciate all the help that we could get. Um, so thank you all again. I uh, appreciate your time and uh, have a great night and stay healthy and safe with everything that's going on.